Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is January 18, and our scripture is Genesis chapter 32. Meeting God at Yabuk, at Jabuk. Jacob's name, his life, his character will forever be changed after chapter 32. So let's get on with the story. Jacob is now making his way back from his sojourning in the land of his ancestry. Isaac and Rebekah have sent him away. He now has an entire clan with him. He has two wives. He has two handmaidens that have borne him children. And now he is coming back as a clan. And so we pick up on the narrative in chapter 32. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he says, This is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Now that is exactly what it says. It is two camps. And I want to give you just a little background of geography. In the land that we call the land of Israel, it is a land connector. It is a land bridge between the continent of Asia to the north and the African continent to the south. It is the land in between. It connects Mesopotamia and all of that region with all of North Africa. And it is the place where there is water with the Jordan River. There are springs, there are hills, there are valleys. It is a breadbasket in the Jezreel Valley in central Israel. And so as people made their way back and forth between the two continents, not just to Asia to the north and Africa to the south, but when you came to the Jezreel Valley and Mount Tabor, which is the land compass of the Middle East and that fertile crescent, if you went left and north, you would go through Lebanon, Syria, Western Syria, and you would then cross the Tarsus Mountains, if you will, and go into what is modern-day Turkey. Go west, you would cross at what is called in Greek mythology the Dardanelles, the Hellespont, if you will, crossing the Bosphorus River that comes out of the Black Sea to the north, and you would cross into Europe. That's the journey of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. But if you were to turn right and go up by the beautiful Sea of Galilee, the Canaret, the lowest freshwater lake on earth, and make your way up the Jordan Valley and turn right, you would go to Damascus. That's the road to Damascus that Saul of Tarsus was on in Acts chapter 9. And then you would turn right and go to the Euphrates River and into Mesopotamia and then over into what is modern-day Iran, Afghanistan, into India. That's the geography of the Middle East. And there were three main roads that connected the north from the south, North Africa unto Syria and the continent of Asia. 
There was the way of the sea. The Romans called it the Via Maris. And it was the way that came up from Gaza, up through Ashkelon, Ashdod, and then it would go up the coast where modern Tel Aviv is, Yaffa, Joppa, and would go up through what is, many of you have been to Israel, you know, Caesarea Maritime, that beautiful seaport there, up the Sharon Valley, the Valley of Sharon, and you would go through the Aron Pass and into the Jezreel Valley. However, if you were coming up from Egypt and you were going the way of the Negev, the dry land, the wasteland, the southern part of Israel, the desert, the wilderness, you would come up from Beersheba, where Abraham's well, and he swore an oath there, and you would come up the Ridge Road, and you would go north, and you would come to Hebron, and then to Bethlehem, then Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and then you would go to Bethel, and then you would go to Shiloh, then Shekim, that would have you in Wadi Farah where you would go out and go up the Jordan Valley, if you will. And that was called the Patriarchal Highway. So you had the Via Maris on the sea to the due west, right along the Mediterranean. Then you have this upper skyway that was called the Patriarchal Highway. That's the way of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the way Jesus would have come when he met the Samaritan woman at Sychar at the well that Jacob had dug. And so that was the second way. And then there was the Jordan Valley, of course, that you could go on either side of the Jordan Valley. That was the Valley Road. But the third primary way was called the King's Highway. You'll recall in the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, the children of Israel in their wilderness wandering, they went up the King's Highway. And this is why this is important. This is the way that Jacob would have come when he came from the Mesopotamia area, he came down that king's highway and came to the river Jabuk. That's Yabuk. And it was a huge canyon, and it divided what was Gilead to the north, Moab to the south during the days of the uh, judges, and then later on with the United Monarchy and so forth. It was called Gilead. And so that is where Jacob camped. And when he camped there... He was waiting on Esau because the Bible says in chapter 32, our reading for today, that Jacob sent messengers ahead. This is verse 3. He sent messengers to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir. Now, that is modern-day Petra. That is where the stronghold of the Edomites, of the tribe of Esau, was. And if you've ever been there, you know you have seen Seir, and it is a fortress up on top of a mountain. Petra, just below it, is an incredible, incredible geological site that has prophetic significance, but we'll get to that when we go through the chapters in the book of Revelation. And so as we're making our way through, the messengers came back and said, hey, Jacob, Esau, your brother, is coming to greet you. And by the way, he's bringing with him 400 men. 
Now, this scared the life out of Jacob. You say, well, how do you know? Because the Bible says so. And it says in verse 7 of chapter 32, so Jacob was greatly afraid. That is just the common word, the word for fear. But the next word is the word sarar. Sarar is the root there. And it is the word to bend, to constrict, to narrow, to cramp. In other words, Jacob really got what we would call uptight. Every blood vessel began to constrict. He began to have shallow breathing. That's the concept here. He began to almost faint because he knew what he had done to Esau and Esau's pledge to kill him. See what goes around comes around and here he is. So now what he's done is he's going to divide up the people. Now, I thought this was interesting because, you see, Jacob loved Rachel more than he did Leah, even though Leah was his first wife. He loved and adored Rachel, loved and adored her children and favored them. But as you'll recall, Leah is the one that God honored. It was from Leah that Judah, Judah came, whose name was Praise, and who became the Messianic line. That came from Leah, not from Rachel. Because, you see, God has the final say in all of this. And remember, it was not Rachel that was buried with Jacob in the cave at the Machpelah in Hebron. No, it was Leah. Leah was there with Jacob in the tomb, along with Isaac and Rebekah, and along with Abraham and Sarah. And so God favored Leah and gave her many children and gave her the Messianic line. When push came to shove, Jacob still in his old mode of manipulation, he put Leah out front and her children. In other words, the first one to be attacked would be Leah. Then he put Rachel and her children back closest to him, and then he got on the other side of the brook from them. In other words, you had all of this entourage, the servants, the camels, the sheep, the rams, and all of that out front, so Esau could see that Jacob was serious about gifting and making things right. Then he put Leah and her children. Then he put Rachel and her children all the way back near him. But he went to the other side of the brook from the direction he was coming, and he was left alone there. But it's already, God's already getting Jacob ready. I want you to look at verse 9. Then Jacob said, O God, my father Abraham, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac. Now he's getting serious. The Lord who said to me, and that's the Tetragrammaton, that is Hashem, that is YHVH, the personal covenant name of God. He began to remind God of what he said, return to your country and your family and I will deal with you. I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all your mercies. That is, God, you've not given me what I deserve. That's what mercy is, God withholding from us what we deserve. Now, grace is the other side of that coin. You can't have one without the other. Grace is all that God does for us that we do not deserve. Mercy is all that God withholds from us that we do deserve. And so he said, I am not worthy of the least of all your mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and I have become two companies. I mean, God had loaded his wagon. He had blessed him in every way. Now he said, deliver me, deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. Jacob just told God the truth. Isn't this refreshing? Lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. He knew how ruthless Esau could be. 
For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Now, Jacob humbled himself before God here, and he reminded God of his promises and his word. That's okay to do. Listen, God wants us to remind him of his promises. Do that contextually in the context that God gave them. Because you see, it's not that God needs to be reminded, but we need to be reminded that God keeps his promises and we can appeal to God on the basis of his word. Not our word, not name it and claim it, not some I say this, I say that. No, but when God names it, you can claim it. When God says it, you can lay hold of that promise. And so he lodged there that night and he separated everybody else out and he wrestled with God. And he arose, verse 22, he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed over the ford at Yabuk. And he took them and sent them over the brook, sent over all that he had. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the break of day. All night he wrestled. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, that is this angelic being, he touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint and he wrestled with him and he said, let me go for daybreak. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. That is the messenger from God said, let me go. A daybreak is coming. I'm scheduled back. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said unto him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Yaakov, Jacob, that is one who is a trickster, a manipulator, a, a conniving, grab someone by the heel kind of person, but Yisrael, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. The word Yisrael comes from two words, Sarah, which means to persist, persevere, to struggle and persevere, that is, to keep on keeping on, to not let go, so to speak. And then the word El, to persist with God, to persevere with God. Jacob would not let this messenger go. Now, according to the book of Hosea chapter 4, this was a Malak, a messenger, M-A-L-A-K. This is where we get the word Malachi. 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 Malachi means my messenger. Many say, well, was this God? Well, he represented God and he had the power of God and the authority of God because he just touched Jacob. Listen, he could have killed Jacob at any moment, but that wasn't his intent. God's intent was to break Jacob. Just think about this. You wrestle with the messenger of God and you persist with that. God is going to change not only your character, but he'll change your name. He'll change everything about you. And that's exactly what happened. You say, well, was Jacob wrestling with God or was he wrestling with an angel? Was he wrestling with? Yes. In other words, whether it was a manifestation of God, a theophany, whether it was God himself, whether it was a messenger of God, sometimes the angel of the Lord is no doubt the pre-incarnate Christ as you read through the Old Testament theological passages. But this time, whether it was or whether it's not, is not even important. The fact is God met Jacob there. And Jacob met God. And so much did he do that, and Jacob believed that. Verse 30 says, And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. Now in the south we go Peniel, but it is Peniel. And it is literally translated, I mean, just straight out, Panim is the word for face. El is the name of God. He said, I have seen the face of God, and my life is preserved. 
And so Jacob understood that he had been wrestling with God Almighty. And he had persevered, and God had changed his life. God had changed his name. God had changed everything about him. You say, well, how do you know that he was a changed man? Well, there's a lot of ways throughout the rest of the book of Genesis that I could show you in Jacob's life, but I want to call your attention to chapter 33. I know this is not your chapter for today, and you're not going to be necessarily reading and assigned to that in this 365 Bible reading plan, but I want you to look at chapter 33 and just look at the story. How do you know that Jacob was changed, a pastor? Well, uh, again, a lot of reasons that I could show you, but I'm going to show you the nearest one, 3313. Esau said, brother, we're okay. I'm okay. You're okay. We're going to be together. All of this is behind us. Let's move on. And what a glorious thing that was. That was a great reunion. God worked all of that out. But Esau said, look, come on, bring everybody with you. Let's go. I'm going to run ahead with the men and you follow as quickly as you can. We're going to go to Mount Seir and we're going to party down there. Now, ordinarily, Jacob was said, hey, let's go. I'm in. I'm all in. Let's go with it. But no, no, no. God had changed Jacob. You say, how do you know that? Verse 13, but Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are weak. They've been traveling a while and the flocks and the herds which are nursing are with me. If the men should drive them hard one day, all the flock will die. Please let my Lord go on ahead before his servant. I will lead on slowly at a pace which the livestock that go before me and the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord in Seir. Jacob was now thinking about someone else besides himself. Now, I know that I have a lot of pastors listening on these podcasts day after day. The reason is I know you write me from all over America. You call me, you ask me to do a podcast on this or a podcast on that. So I know you're listening. Let me just say to you, when you go to a church... God will give you a great vision for that church. You read the Word of God. You study the Word of God. You have a vision for those people. Let me tell you, after years of making mistakes, you see, life is too short for you to just learn from your own mistakes and your own failures. You have to learn from others' failures and mistakes. Life is too short for you to learn from just your own successes. You have to learn from the successes of others. Now, if you ever decide you want to just make a mistake, just say, Lord, would you just give me one of Tony's? He's got plenty of them, and I won't even have to make one. And the Lord will credit one of mine because it's in those failures that I've learned some of the greatest lessons. I know you have a vision. You want to lead these people, and you want to get there as quickly as you can. Sometimes the people are not ready to go, so it's going to take a lot of preaching, a lot of teaching of the Word of God. And many times when you go into a church, you're going to have to undo what years and maybe generations of a lack of biblical preaching and teaching has done. A lot of traditions that are not biblical traditions, they're just traditions that have been carried on, and they're not godly. You can't blow all of those up at one time. You're going to have to let the people go at their own pace. You see, that's the better part of wisdom. Oh, you've got to continue to lead. You've got to continue to draw. You've got to continue to encourage and conjole and do all the things that we do. But lead them at God's pace. Lead them at the pace that they will follow. Because let me tell you, if you run on ahead and your people are not with you, you can't lead anybody anywhere. Jacob learned that. And he said, no, if I lead them too quickly... Many will be lost and die along the way. You don't want your people being lost and dying along the way. Give God time to work in their life. And I hope this has been a blessing to you as you walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. 
Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.